Welcome into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and you've joined us for Executive Decisions, where the focus turns onto CEOs and other senior executives, touching on subjects vital to the success of these positions and the individuals holding them. On the table today is the concept of strategic thinking, some ideas and elements to effectively maybe map out the future and have a solid plan moving forward. Now, this does appear to be a little bit of an issue, though, as according to Chief Executive Magazine, seven out of 10 of these leaders didn't consider themselves very strategic. So to discuss this topic, we have Samantha Howland joining us. Samantha is a senior managing partner with Decision Strategies International, where she has consulted on this topic. Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Tim. Well, it's nice to have you on, and it's an interesting topic for us to dive into. Uh, Before we get into the meat of it, however, we like to give our audience a a chance to understand where our guest is coming from. So if you could fill us in a little bit on your background. Sure. Um, I'm privileged to lead a practice in a strategy firm. Uh, We are all about helping our clients manage and make decisions in the world of increasing complexity and uncertainty and really install the strategic leadership capability to help organizations be successful over the long term. And I come at this from an intersection of having done um, strategy work as well as um, ensure that an organization has the leaders and the skills and capabilities and behaviors it needs to achieve success with strategy. So not just set a direction, but actually uh, be successful on the execution end. So really privileged to work in this kind of organization where we work side by side with our clients to head in the right direction and adapt and change and really be flexible as leaders to be successful, not just right now, but over time. And yeah, I think that, you know, the sort of the different areas that you have a perspective there, I think helps a lot when we talk about a, a subject like this. Now, the first question I did have was, you know, obviously I mentioned um, that those numbers there, seven out of 10 leaders saying they, they don't think they are strategic. And we got that from an article that you had written. Why is that? Why does it seem to be the case? Are there certain reasons why uh, maybe these leaders don't feel they are strategic as a a way that we're talking about? Absolutely, Tim. There are a couple of reasons. One is because there's a lack of clarity of what does it mean to be strategic. Right. It's one of those words that gets thrown around. It's important for leaders to have a sense of direction, um, be strategic in how they bring up talent. But you talk to any leader, um, certainly we've seen this and I've seen it directly uh, with clients over decades. They throw the word around and they're not quite sure what they're asking for, what they're identifying. So we've spent a lot of time helping define what it means to be strategic and actually assess capability and comfort and knowledge and confidence with each of the areas of what it means to be strategic. So definition is part of it and we can go into what those various elements are. The other is just the reality of what it takes to lead in a business these days. There are fires all the time. There's reaction going on to external change, to internal decision-making and crisis and challenge. And it's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, as as we all often do. Where is that balance of long-term and making sure the ship's headed in the right direction and making sure you're, you know, staying afloat and being successful in the near term? It's, It's that balance of today and making decisions and plans and investing time and effort for the long run. Now, and as you mentioned, we we will get into some of the details of what you're talking about here. Uh, The one thing I wanted to ask also, though, is this seem like it's more of an issue now than it might have been in the past? I mean, have you experienced any shift in that way or have you noticed any differences? It's certainly something that's always been important, but yes, I would say it's increased. First of all, the lifespan of organizations is shrinking. Okay. It's harder to compete. Disruption is coming from you know all angles, uh, globalization, the pace of change, complexity, 
certainly the shock factor of disruptions, and mm-hmm. that's not news for folks anymore. It's not in one industry. 2008 proved that, you know, on a global level, not just in one sector. So all of these conditions make the need for leaders that can be more adaptive, anticipate change better, have contingency plans, have different ways of solving problems, more of a critical skill than just managing operations and efficiency and, again, driving a goal set for today. It, it is more, um, more critical than ever that you can have that long view, certainly in, in any kind of leadership position, but absolutely at the top. Now, as you mentioned, you guys have uh, sort of come up with these key elements that would help out in the areas of strategic thinking and, and really what would be effective in utilizing some of these. Is there any one you could point to that would be most important in your mind or maybe a good starting point if somebody was really struggling with the idea of, of being strategic? Yeah, let me start with anticipate. So there are six elements and we've done a lot of research. You know, we've assessed over 175,000 leaders around the globe with these elements and anticipate consistently comes up as the lowest scoring element. And it's the issue of being able to kind of see around the corner to monitor what might happen next to deal with signals. And there's so many out there. We have access to so much information, but how do you sort through the noise and pay attention to not only the obvious trend right in front of your, you know, your business that you have to plan for, but those uncertain, maybe weaker signals that could, um, you know, suggest change, disruption, and opportunity down the road. How do you build that into your skill set, into your frame of reference as a leader, where you're looking for information, you're sorting through it, and you're anticipating what might this mean for my business? Where's there risk I haven't thought about? Competitive dynamic I hadn't recognized from the past. It's not traditional. And most importantly, opportunity. Where is change suggesting I've got an opportunity in a market I didn't before? I might meet a customer group need I hadn't considered based on our competency. So anticipating should be part of the job and thinking ahead, looking for information from different sources um, than the traditional set everybody's looking at from your own industry view. So how do you build in time, the reflectiveness, the ability to monitor what's changing on the edges? And, you know, use that as valuable data, as idea generation to anticipate where your company might be. And and the quote is quite often overused, you know, skate to where the puck is going. Um, (laughs) But but really, how do you do that if you don't anticipate where things may be going? You know, when do you build in time for that? So I would highlight that as a area of critical need and something that you can learn how to do. There are actual practices to to get better at that. I mean, do you have any examples of, of ways that someone could? I mean, or just uh, you said there may be ways to practice that. What, what would you offer up? Um, I would offer some obvious things, which is, you know, spend time with your customers and partners and vendors and ask them what they're seeing on the edges, what signals they're picking up on that may suggest change and what they need or how they operate. Um, so that's an obvious. Um, read things that are outside the norm. Talk to folks out, folks outside of your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, demographics is an obvious one. Sure. Uh, you know, we all talk to folks that are similar to us. They're at the same level in an organization. They hold broad responsibilities. Go talk to the young folks, you know, the young professionals in your organization. Talk to prospective customers. Talk to past customers. Go to a conference that's completely outside of your industry really look for different sources of information. Make this a requirement from people on the edges of your business. How are your sales teams, your customer service teams, what do they see as potential changes, as issues? 
It's amazing what people will tell you if you ask them. Go right. talk to someone that left a competitor. What are the issues that organization's worried about? So a lot of it's just asking the right questions to pick up on signals you may not have been paying attention to and looking for patterns. One other area in that anticipation piece, uh, I had seen the phrase, it said, embrace the uncertainty. What, is, what does that mean exactly and why, why might that be difficult for those that are in these leadership positions? I love that question. That's really what we focus on. So, you know, it's hard enough to deal with the stuff we know is coming. Mm -hmm. You know, trends are big. It requires investment of time and resource in our organizations to make change and and deal with normal evolution uh, of what's going on in an industry um, or certainly in a market. Uncertainty, we kind of think about, worry about, and quite often it just gets put aside because we don't know what to do with it. You know, how will um, a key regulatory potential change affect our business? How will a potential new entrant affect our business? There are a lot of big uncertainties that could be game changers. Mm -hmm. So we might talk about them, but we don't bake them into the plan. We don't think about the various outcomes and play out what the second and third order effects might be. So when we talk about embracing uncertainty, we talk about surfacing the things that really do keep you up at night. What are those potential game changers relevant to your business and your customers? What might happen? How is your business currently prepared to deal with them and take advantage of them? Where have you built in some flexibility, optionality, areas of experimentation to be ready to take advantage if you know the, the uncertainty plays out in one direction versus another. How can you be more prepared than the competition? How can you already have secured some pilot relationships, some partnerships? How do you bake it in to the mix of things that you're working on for the future, not just what we do know, but what might happen, and be you know, the one prepared to be at that puck first? When you were talking about the, the anticipation part of all of this, uh, I think similar, to me it seems similar, or at least it kind of works together, is this idea of also challenging sort of conventional wisdom or ideas that are longstanding. What's the importance of uh, CEO, executive level leaders challenging some of these norms or perceived norms? It's critically important. And, and actually the area of whole, uh, behavioral decision-making has become more and more um, an accepted hot topic in business today. We all come into leadership positions, frankly, as human beings. We're, we have our own biases. We see what we're prepared to see. We're a little bit overconfident about what we know. We're anchored on our past experience. There are a lot of biases we bring into our own interpretation of data and how we frame a problem. If we're aware of these biases, there's a lot of things we can do about it. First, we can ask for dissenting voices. We can expect dissent and, you know, the alternative point of view, the devil's advocate. We can ask different types of styles and leaders and functional experts their view on a problem. Ask the finance, then ask HR, then ask operations. Really get a different take on the problem. See things from many different angles. And it's not easy to do as an individual. Make sure you stack your team with that. Make sure that you can have um, healthy debate versus coming to a conclusion too quickly because we all see things the same way. Everybody wants to be compliant or aligned before we've actually debated things very well. It's often in the challenge that we identify not only the, you know, the, the go or no go, the yes or no decision, but an alternative that might be better, might be more of a phased approach versus all in, might give us more information about how to adjust. So it's critically important that you recognize the bias that you're faced with you find people, information, different interpretations to help you see things from a variety of angles. And, you know, ultimately, you're going to make better decisions using that process. You won't be 
too um, influenced by the individual and sometimes groupthink biases that, that come into decisions. I mean, we, it's so easy for us in hindsight to look at, you know, big successful companies that have hit the wall, that have self-destructed. And a lot of it came down to some key decisions where they were just going on past assumptions. This sure. is how the industry worked. This is why we were successful. And they didn't step back just to challenge the interpretation of the problem or the potential solution set. Uh, it definitely fits into some of the items I've read recently. The idea, as you said, sort of this, this group think mentality and that too many of the same voices, same ideas, and that's causing some issues. So that fits right in uh, with, again, some of the things I've been reading as well. You, you mentioned a few times interpretation, and uh, that is another aspect of this uh, strategic thinking that, that you have all touched on. Uh, one part that I found interesting is the idea of utilizing both analytic reasoning and seasoned intuition. Now, the reason I, I find that interesting is because the intuition part, I feel like people don't like that because you don't have solid numbers. You know, you're going off of, you know, in theory, a gut feeling. Uh, where, where is that balance when you're talking about interpretation and then with reasoning and intuition? I'm not sure I'm the expert on the perfect balance, and I think balance is a tricky word in (laughs) general on so many different topics, but it's a great question. We need data. We need to understand, um, you know, research behind key decisions. We need to look at different sources, all the things that that you mentioned and that we talk about. There is such a thing, though, as not having um, all the information, as certainly when we're talking about the future, no one's been there before. Right. So part of it is trusting your... um, your diverse voices, your team, your experience, um, and uh, again, your gut. And what is, you know, the right move for who we are, what we're capable of, what we stand for, what our aspirations are, and how are we going to manage the risk as we head towards that? But so many organizations get caught up in analysis paralysis, and they miss the opportunity. So, you know, a key message in that issue of interpret and being able to actually make the decision is you got to get in there. Not blindly, not without, um, again, good analytics and, and reasoning from the data, but ultimately the you know, future is, is still an unknown. So make sure you've analyzed the uncertainties and thought about the possibilities. You're going to have to use some gut, some trust, and risk management to go forward. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. Well, and that leads us into, you know, I would say what a lot of people think are sort of the, the nuts and bolts of being in those leadership positions, and it's, it's making decisions, you know, having that that final say, so to speak, or, or gathering all that information as you've been talking about to, to come up with that decision-making aspect. What do you see as, as the most challenging part for these leaders that uh, may be holding them back in terms of strategic thinking when it comes to decision-making? I'll point to a couple of things. Sure. One is we're not often trained in decision-making. And as you, you know, ascend the ladder, you have broader enterprise responsibility. The stakes get higher. The decisions are tougher. They don't get to you until they're very big decisions. They're, they're um, critical issues for the business. So we don't have training and people just assume um, that we're good at this. I, I mentioned the biases and these get in the way of making a, a good decision. So the key thing we've seen as the difference is being able to think of a decision as a process, not as an event, mm-hmm. to break it down, to make sure you've got clarity on what is the decision to be made. How have we framed the problem or decision? Was that valid? Did we spend enough time on that? Did we test assumptions around the decision frame itself? Did we gather information from diverse sources? Have we looked at it from a variety of angles? How are we coming to the conclusions? Who had the dissenting view? You know, really breaking that down and being patient with big decisions to look at things that maybe weren't brought to you as the key decision maker. It never made it to your table. 
you want to know about those. You want to know about who brought them up, why they were discarded, you know, the, the robust nature of the solution that's being presented to you. Understand the decisions. And then how have we learned from past decisions? How has that influenced this particular decision? I, I would say that's one of the other elements that gets quite often missed. We, we sweep under the carpet things that didn't go well, decisions that didn't result in the outcome we wanted, and sure. we don't spend a lot of time learning from them. So in making that key decision, how is the leader asking the team, the leader you know, himself or herself, thinking about when have we had to make a decision like this in the past? What went well? What didn't? How can I learn from that in this particular situation and make the best decision? So I, I would point to the issue of using a process to make a decision, not thinking it's a, um, you know, an, a simple event, a one-time thing. And obviously, these are for larger decisions, right. not smaller ones. But having that discipline is a really differentiating tool for leaders to take on, uh, again, the, the big calls, which is really part of the job. Right, right. In your experience, maybe this is putting you on the spot a little bit, with, with the decision-making aspect, do you feel overall that there is, uh, it's too quick, like it happens too quickly that they're making a decision or that they freeze up and it takes too long whether it's a process or not, they're just focusing on that as being one event, as you talked about. Uh, do you, so do you think it's more they're making those decisions too quickly or, or waiting too long? In my personal experience, it's waiting too long. Okay. One of the key things is it takes too long to get the decision presented to the leader who's going to make the call. Gotcha. There's so many iterations in the business. There's a fear factor. You know, there's getting it perfect. There's having all the perfect data. And so you've spent all this time getting to the decision point, And then the leader doesn't have all the insight on the process itself, that takes too long. So I, the analysis paralysis is much more common in my experience than, you know, too much of a snap decision. Right, right. No, I think what you're saying makes sense. It's the whole idea that I think to your point about process, if it was implemented right away and off the bat and everybody's involved, you can make that decision. But the way you are articulating it to me, and I, I agree, I've seen this as well, is that everything before that point that the decision has to be made seems to be taking too long to get to the appropriate person. is that Does that sort of fall in line with what you're talking about? It does. Okay. It does. A couple more areas that uh, you know, we want to touch on here before we run out of time. Um, and you know, obviously, again, we're leaning on your expertise and your experience with um, you know, people you've worked with and, and all the research that have been, has been done over there. Um, it's the idea of alignment is another aspect, uh, this key element to strategic thinking. It's interesting to me because we're talking about getting those differing views and dissenting opinions. And now here we're talking about having that similar vision and working towards a goal. How does that play together in terms of bringing it all, I don't know, from, from, from that dissenting view and then being able to focus it to what a strategic vision would be for everybody? Yeah, being able to align interests is a key component of being an effective strategic leader. Having listened, having been um, purposeful in understanding what's behind, what the options are, what the direction possibilities might be. It's critically important you ultimately line up the people that are going to make things happen on the same page, at the very least understanding and, and accepting where things are going. Um, and of course, most ideally, you know, championing, becoming ambassadors for a direction and a decision. I think this has become even more important. We live in a network world. You can't control everything in your realm of responsibility. You certainly can't know everything given increased complexity and pace of change, um, even as a, a longtime expert with um, you know, very seasoned experience. So you've got to rely on a broader system 
of inputs, and yet you've got to line people up. So understanding where people are coming from and what they have at stake, having a stakeholder mindset and making sure people understand how a decision aligns to you know, where the, where the common goal meets, where the intersection point is, where you all have a common interest and a, and a value to gain by making a, you know, a direction or a strategy decision overall for the group. So being able to communicate is a big part of it, being an effective listener and being able to message back what you've heard, how the decision has been reached, where you're headed and why there's value to all players um, who may lose, but, you know, the, the reason for that loss and, you know, where the collective good is, is achieved. So th- this is, it comes to probably a bit more traditional elements of leadership okay. of being able to get people on the same page. Right. But we find that if you can't get people aligned behind your strategy, you're, you're not an effective strategic thinker. You haven't thought through all the plays of, of the important players in the mix. Uh, lastly, and, you know, we see this a lot now in across industry, and it's the idea of continued learning. And that's what you had down as a, a sixth element of strategic thinking is just the learn and learning aspect of it all. Why is that important? What role does it play? Uh, and how does it just really help these CEOs and executives in the ways of strategic thinking? Well, if change is a constant and we haven't been to the future before and our landscape and playing field and competitive set keep evolving, we really need to learn quickly. We, we talk about strategy as actually faster learning, hmm. being aware of what's working, being self-reflective on what's been effective or not, having a culture that is open to, you know, post-mortems and after-action reviews to honestly assessing what we do well, how can we do more of that, what didn't go well and why, without necessarily, um, you know, punitive actions, but much more about the biggest mistakes should be the best investments for future success. A lot of this comes down to culture and as a leader, modeling that you're interested in what you did well, what mistakes you've made. I'll tell you some of the most effective strategic leaders, strategic thinking ambassadors for their companies are the ones that tell the stories about their biggest mistake, hmm. what they learned from it, what crisis they had to deal with, and how it affected their success over the long term because they spent time reflecting on what they were good at, what they needed to correct, what other skills were needed in their business or in their own particular skill set. So they had that mindset of you're never there. There, There's more to learn, whether it's from colleagues, um, but most of all, from your own experience, from the organization's experience, how do you institutionalize that? If you can institutionalize that, you're going to be able to cycle faster and adapt faster, which is ultimately what this is about, that you're able to adapt to complexity and change and actually win be um, more prepared to succeed, even though it's an uncertain world. Well, I, I love that mindset, the idea of uh, you know learning from those failures and, and showing that this is the only way you get better. Uh, I really do appreciate hearing that that sort of frame of thinking. Uh, you don't hear that. I don't think you hear that often enough. It's always about, as you <laughs> mentioned, the successes and what worked. Well, um, you know that's all in good. But as you said, it's important to learn about those failures as well. We are getting low on time here. I wanted to give you the opportunity, though. You know, if someone's just listening and they're still maybe a little unsure of where they would go, uh, where they would start with this, what they would do, uh, what would be any last piece of advice you would give them? As maybe I said, maybe a jumping off point or, or somewhere they could start to you know, maybe develop themselves a little bit into more of a strategic thinker. I would have them look at the six elements just as a tool, as a framework, and ask themselves where they spend time and where maybe they haven't given enough time. I would have them ask a peer, a colleague, you know, a friend, about where they see their strengths. I would suggest they spend a little time in the areas that 
perhaps haven't gotten attention, they're not as comfortable with. I'd certainly help them uh, suggest that they spend some time reflecting on who is good at this in their world, who they can learn from, who they can reference when they need another point of view. You know, it, like any um, instrument in building capability, there's, there's usually, you know, strengths you find and weaknesses across a team, and it's important to leverage each other. You can't be necessarily perfect in all categories. You can be a great resource, but you can also build your skill by working with peers and mentors and colleagues that are good at this already, at the elements. So I, I would also suggest that they spend a little bit of their time in the week letting go of today's fires and just being reflective of what's coming next and letting go of something that they do on a day-to-day basis just because they've been doing it forever and spending a little bit of time trying out some of the more strategic thinking elements that will help them be successful over the long term. Sounds like a perfectly uh, great way to end this conversation. So with that, we will bring this episode of Executive Decisions to a close as we've been getting a handle on some of these keys to strategic thinking for our executive level listeners out there. Our guest today has been Samantha Howland, Senior Managing Partner with Decision Strategies International. Samantha, thanks again for your perspective on this subject today. Thank you very much, Tim. Of course, as always, we'd like to hear from you, the listeners, as well. So just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you do have any comments or suggestions for any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.